So, with the Commonwealth Games coming to the UK, and more importantly arriving where me and my very special guests grew up, Birmingham, we wanted to mark this wonderful event with a one-off and very special podcast. Birmingham, the Commonwealth Games, have a place in this man's heart. He was a competitor at the Commonwealth Games in 1998 in Kuala Lumpur, and has agreed to tell us all about this experience, how it shaped him as a person and all the things it led on to. Our guest is Nick Baxter, a former professional rugby player, still retaining his legendary status at Worcester Warriors Rugby Club, where he hosts an array of people at every home game. Loved by the fans, in 1998, after recording record-breaking years at club level, Nick got the opportunity to represent England in the Rugby Sevens at the Commonwealth Games, which enjoyed at that point exhibition status. Nick's team reached the quarterfinals, where they lost to David Cambazes, Australia. Nick scored both of England's tries in that game, and he gave us a unique perspective, and can give us a unique perspective, even on the balance and contrast between individual and team success. Since leaving his playing days behind, Nick has become a serial entrepreneur. He has an infectious energy. He knows more about networking, recruitment and leadership than most people have forgotten. I'm proud to call Nick a friend and I cannot wait to share with you all Nick's adventure, insights and energy. Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much, Steve. That's a great intro. No pressure. <laughs> well, you know how I like to kind of build you up, mate, because you deserve it. I love talking to you. I have great fun every time we catch up. So I'm more than happy with that intro, and I think it's really accurate about all the things I've learned about you. So, Thank Nick, you. as a former competitor, how do you feel about the Commonwealth Games coming to Birmingham? Mate, it's amazing. Obviously, there are two elements to Commonwealth Games coming to Birmingham. One, I was really fortunate to have been a, a former competitor at Commonwealth Games. It's an amazing, life-changing experience. Secondly, I'm from Birmingham, so the, the combination of those two factors uh, mean that, yeah, it's going to be really dear to my heart the next couple of weeks. It's going to be an amazing thing to come to Birmingham. Um, even though I, uh, I live in Worcester now, I do lots of business in Birmingham. In Birmingham, once a week, once a fortnight, the skyline has changed. You've got to be careful of the trams. HS2's come in. There's lots of great stuff happening in Birmingham at the moment. It's a, it's a, it's a great vibrant city still fighting out for that second status second city status in Manchester but I think um, it's testament to where the city's come to and come from to, to be able to host such a you know prestigious games fantastic and what was it like growing up in Birmingham for you how did it shape how you who you've become it was amazing you know I've got like like most very fond memories I grew up uh, in central Birmingham uh, in Edgbaston to start with until I was about eight and then my parents moved to Longbridge um, where I uh, spent most of my formative years. A great city, really multicultural, really friendly. There's a real, there's a real pulse and there's a real heart to, to Birmingham, which is which is really unique. And whilst uh, everyone takes a mick out of our accents, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's, there's a certain warmth which is which is really unique. No better than any other than any other city, but just really unique to Birmingham. Um, really fond memories, formed some great friendships. Um, where I started playing rugby at my junior club, Kings Norton, which all happened by accident in the sixth form by a scrawny 10-stone version of myself back then. So, yeah, really fond memories of, of growing up in Birmingham and uh, always got a soft spot for uh, for the city. And I'm really pleased, actually. I um, did a fantastic networking event with PJ Ellis and the guys at Lightbox uh, Digital in Birmingham, um, seeing Paul Faulkner from uh, Jim Shark. It was really nice to be able... It's my one of my first networking events post-COVID. It was really nice to get back out in the city, Get the training from Parkway in Worcester now. It's a half an hour train. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and such fun memories. And every time I go back, every time I drive to a different client or to a different part of Birmingham, it brings back some 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 great childhood memories. So, yeah, as you can probably tell, it's our spot for the city still. 
Fantastic. Absolutely love it. And I mean, you, you just mentioned it there, but you came to rugby quite late, didn't you, in terms of it as a game that you really took to? Yeah, I was like, I, I was really like a, I stayed at a friend's house. His name's Richard Revel. I owe him, I owe him, I inde- I'm indebted to that guy because that day kind of shaped my future. He stayed at his house on, after a night of, uh, at night out on a Saturday night on a Sunday morning I said listen I'll come and watch you play this rugby you've been talking about rugby at school in the sixth form all the time let me let me see what this rugby's all about come watch you boys anyway we went to, to meet our lift and uh, great guy Chris Cooksey uh, he's no longer with us unfortunately and he just said listen this is Nick my mate from uh, from school he said he's not going to come and watch us we're two men down he's going to have to play so long story short I ended up playing, and uh, that was that was the start. That's a whole other new podcast. We do that podcast another time, but yeah, that was the that was the start of uh, some really really exciting things in my life on the back of that day. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've kind of look at the list of things you get involved in all the time. I'm going to share some of them now, but we'll kind of share more as we go through. But I mean, you're CEO at Baxter Williams, which is you know a really credible um, recruitment company. You're doing executive search. You're supporting companies across the region. Your network is unbelievable. You've just launched the Long Lunch, which I want to talk to you about in a bit. You were a rugby union player for Worcester Warriors you've played mm-hmm. for England students you've played for England seven you've played at sevens you've played for the Barbarians you were the leading try scorer in the National League of Rugby I know you that you were the first to score 100 league tries and you're the only player to score 150 tries it's the list goes <laughs> on and stuff how on earth did you kind of cram that into short space of time and this isn't even talking about the Commonwealth Games yet these are amazing things that you did when you came to it so late and that, that great story you've just told us where you went and stayed over someone's house to go and watch a game of rugby, you know, a few years later, there you are at the Commonwealth Games. Tell us more about that. It was a whirlwind, really. It was it was crazy. I remember we played the first game and then I really enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I played, I, I threw the, I got, I got the ball. No one's going to catch me because I was, let, I was like, I'm a footballer. I'm not going to get involved in this, in this rugby in my life. It's too, it's too rough and tumble for me. So I remember evading two or three tackles and then throwing the ball down like American football and then high-fiving my teammates. And they were looking at me like I was crazy saying, well, what, what are you doing? I said, just scored a try. They said, no, it's American football. You've got to put the ball down. Then I scored a second try and I put the ball down, but I put the ball down after the dead ball line. So essentially off the park. And again, I went to high five <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? And I scored, I scored the third try. And then um, that was it. Six games, played six games. That was the end of the season. So March when I first started, April when I, April coming up to May when I finished, went to university in September and they were like, you know, um, did you play rugby? Yeah, I played. Did you play for Kingsdown? They were like, who are they? <laughs> and they were like, how long have you been playing? I said, I've played six games. And they're like, you're in the fourth team. And a couple of years later, you know, I got into the England student side, which was just ludicrous. I signed the, the Kings North Rugby Club wanted me to, I thought it was a hoax call. They said uh, Phil Maynard, which was the coach who was instrumental in a lot of my rugby career. Uh, he was the, he then went on to Worcester, which is why I went on to Worcester. He was also with me at Perton Bees. And so, um, yeah, I signed for Kings North Rugby Club. They paid for my train fare back from university. And then in my third year at university, I signed for Worcester Rugby Club. And the rest is uh, the rest is history. Whirlwind. I shouldn't like my ninth, tenth game of rugby was in the county. Everything was was happened really quickly. But I was really supported. I had some great teammates. They recognised I had a skill set without the knowledge, and they worked with me, which is you know it's exactly what we do in, from a leadership, management, and development perspective, and from a culture perspective as well. I was always around people with a growth mindset that that, that wanted me to do well. And uh, when you're in an environment like that, you can only succeed, really. And Phil Maynard was instrumental in, in a lot of the opportunities. And, you know, hopefully I repaid him back with some, some decent performances and a, and a few tries. 
Fantastic. I absolutely love all of that. And I listened to all the things you talked about there and I really want to dig into so much of that <laughs> stuff because yeah, I understand how much you pride yourself on doing the best you possibly can every day. I mean, we're recording this at eight o'clock in the morning because your diary's ram today and so is mine. You're like, no, no, we're going to do it. We're going to find some time. We're going to make this happen. But you also are really kind of focused on teams and you're focused on leadership and doing the right thing. Um, and I love kind of listening to you because I think the reason you've been able to kind of make that whirlwind kind of route through, and I see you doing it in your career as well, is because of your infectious energy. It is because you understand the individual part you play. It is because you realise the bigger team part, but it's also because you've got that open mindset. You mentioned it there a minute ago. You know, when you look at nurture and nurture, you clearly had some natural talent, but you also had an open mind. Do you know what? I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. And every time I talk to you, I learn something new from you and I watch you and I see how you're listening and you're picking stuff up and you're playing stuff back because you never stop listening and you never stop learning. Is that something that's always been with you? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> Nature, nurture. I, I've been really fortunate. I, I, um, I got a really strong role model in my dad and my dad, my dad, Windrush uh, baby came over to the UK in, in the 50s and in a really struggling, tough time where he had limited opportunities. And so he wanted to make sure that both me and my two brothers had the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. And whilst we didn't have a great deal of money growing up and we didn't have a great deal of resources, what we did have was a lot of love and we had a lot of support. And uh, my dad was was really the, he was kind of like the the force behind, behind everything in the backs of the household. And we just grew up knowing we could be whatever we wanted to be. And um, and he said that knowing that he wasn't able to be everything he wanted to be for for, for, for reasons we won't go into today. But he was determined and uh, downright determined that we were able to do that. So it's just something that's always been part and parcel. You know, when I first picked a rugby ball up and, and I played that game, I decided I wanted, to play, I wanted to play rugby. And so I got loads of books and I read loads of books. And I remember I used to read the rugby the Rugby World, which was a was a rugby magazine. I, I just wanted to learn about rugby. I didn't know the difference between rugby league or rugby union. I was starting from scratch at 18, and I wanted to learn, so I literally immersed myself. I remember just carrying a ball around, a rugby ball around, for like two years. It's like, because that... And so when I focus on something, I just literally... I put a lot of time, effort, and energy into something, and, you know, you, you, you take the right energy into a situation, and the universe... Well, you will always attract... You will always attract the right people and the right opportunities if you if you come with the right mindset and the right energy. That's my mindset. No, no, I completely get it. And I know you pay that back as well. Um, you're a very generous person. Um, I've known that from the, t- the time we've spent together. <clears throat> but I also know you mentioned your dad there. Um, I see like this energy in you. And if I didn't know your dad, I would just kind of be there again. You know, <laughs> Nick's got all this energy. He's driven. He knows where he's kind of going. Um, but I know that your mum and dad still do some work with you and still support you. I nearly met them the other week when I came over to see you. He said, they'll be in in a bit. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll get to meet them at some point. But it, it's clear you're really proud of that background, but you're also paying it back and making sure they're involved going forward. Because it's not like your dad was living through you vicariously because he didn't say, right, I am love rugby. I'm into rugby. You're going to be a rugby player. That was a destiny you found for yourself. But he gave you that mindset and helped you kind of go, go and do anything you want to do. You believed it and it made the difference and kind of set you up for life. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, and it's still, yeah, listen, family's everything, isn't it? You know, health and health and family. There's nothing else. There's nothing else really of importance in the world. Health and family. If you can get the health and family piece right, then you're, then you're laughing and the rest uh, kind of fits into place. Dad's still involved. Dad was an accountant. He retrained as an accountant and 
when I first started Baxter Williams, he was uh, he was he was looking after the books. Um, as we grew, it, it got a bit too much for me. Retired. My mum and dad were missionaries in the church. Um, they lived in Swaziland for two years. The missionary work there in Africa, and then we're in the Philippines for six years. So I suppose that the, the paying back and, and giving back comes from my parents. You know, they, they've always given. They've always given selflessly to the church, to the community. Uh, UK and internationally and I suppose it all rubs off doesn't it you know me and my brothers are incredibly proud of them and those uh, those qualities and those values you know they, they, they mean a lot to, to, to the Baxter family and uh, and yeah again you know indebted to those guys for those hopefully uh, I know they're proud of me you know I don't do it so they're proud of me I do it because it's the right thing to do and, and I'm really fortunate they are proud of me to come to the office mum and dad just come and do the cleaning now in the office they come and do the cleaning come and distract it, distract everyone in the office for a couple of hours and bring some food and it's just really nice you know fellowship family it's just great to have them involved in the business in, in any capacity really amazing i'd love to hear all of that but let's get into the commonwealth games a bit then yes, so let's, let's talk about what it was like as an experience tell us about your favorite moments tell us about your low points give us a give us an experience to understand right, you just, steve you'll never understand like it's just it's next level. So um, 1998, it's an exhibition sport. So it wasn't classified as a official sport, even though they gave medals. Uh, they recognised the growing um, support and the growing for all behind sevens. And as, a, as an athletic exhibition, you know, it needs to be in the Olympics and it needs to be in the Commonwealth Games, and which it is now. So it was really nice to be part of that in 1998. Um, being selected was, was amazing. Getting that call, getting that, invitation going down to Twickenham and training for a couple of months before and, and being out I remember going in the off season there's no it's really weird uh, going to Twickenham and training at Twickenham with no posts because obviously they take a post down at the end of the season so we we're training there going behind the scenes it was just a fairy tale and then obviously flying out there our coach at the time was a guy called Andy Harriman Prince Harriman who was uh, who won the World Cup in 93 with England a uh, great guy, very intense, very committed, and uh, and he, he was he was he was also very he was also concerned that we weren't going to fly without any leg room. So literally, he, he upgraded our uh, our seats. So <laughs> we, had, we had a better leg room, so we're walking past all of the, the high jumpers and the uh, the triple jumpers with the longest and the basketball with the longest legs in the world, and we're literally the rugby guys that are, uh, are in first class. It was brilliant, amazing experience to to be in the village. I can't explain it. Like to be in the village is amazing. The accommodation was amazing. Just walking around. When you're in the food hall, you Viv Richards, Lincoln, uh, uh, Linford Christie, Jonah Lowe. You're just in the food hall at food and you're like Denise Lewis is next to you. And you literally, it was amazing. Um, and then competing was just as next level, you know, this young lad from uh, an estate in, uh, in Longbridge. I remember one of my good friends, Paul Beard. He was uh, he was mates with Scott Gibbs, and I've got this I've got this memory. I've got lots of memories. I remember going out um, against Australia in the quarterfinals, fifty thousand people. It was one of those pitches that you walk through up the stairs into the stadium. And I remember then, and on the other side, Scott Gibbs was like, "Go on, Bacco," because obviously you know, my my nickname's Bacco. He goes, "Go on, Bacco, give it to him." And I'm thinking. Scott Gibbs is just this British Lions centre, British Lions centre. It's just wow. Tom, and I'm going. It was amazing. Yeah, lots of lots of really cool memories. Um, the changing room situation was quite unusual. There were four teams in each changing room. The changing rooms were like hundred foot down each side, big, a big um, concrete uh, rooms. Really unusual. Really hot. It was so hot in Kuala Lumpur. 
And I remember being sat, there was us, Kenya, Sri Lanka and New Zealand in a changing room. And I remember being sat, uh, Jonah Loma on one side of me, Eric Rush on the other side of me. And I'm just thinking, how, how have I managed? How have I managed to find myself? And this is where the imposter syndrome comes in. It comes in. You know, it comes in at various times. That was that was definitely a moment of imposter syndrome. I was thinking, what what am I doing in this in this esteemed uh, company? But lots of memories. Uh, a low point getting beat by Australia. So we got beat. I think it was forty five fourteen, which was a bit of a drubbing. To be fair, they had a really strong side, and um, I suppose the high point of that was me getting to play against my hero David Campese. Um, and that was uh, that was that was amazing. It was, and I scored the two tries, which was great. So it was a yeah. it was a low and a high at the same time, which is which is often often the case in uh, in, in in sport. But yeah, just the most phenomenal. I was, we talk about it, and you know what's really weird? You form lots of friendships in in rugby. That's why we network so well. The reason why we network is not it's, the old boys club is dead now, and, and thankfully it is. You know. You know, looking after people just because you know them. That those days are gone. The reason why we network so heavily in rugby is because we build such strong bonds. You know, when we we go into battle, we put our necks on the line. People get hurt. We put our trust in our teammates. And that level of trust in your t- teammates in rugby just transcends. So when you meet another rugby player, you've been through similar experience. It doesn't matter what level you've played. You've you've been through similar experience. We've got a similar mindset around how we approach games and how and how we operate as a team. And so. That's amazing, and that's why we network so well, and that's why you know it's always great to support other business owners that, that have got a rugby background. But the friendships are, are born out of the seven. So Tim Walsh, he was a guy I played yeah. with at, at uh, Birmingham and Surrey Hall and Worcester. He's now the the coach. You know, he won the Olympics with the girls and the sevens, lady sevens. He went to the men's with the ladies, and he's playing against the team I'm involved in at the moment, commercially, uh, Jamaica sevens. And uh, they're playing on Friday. Mike Friday, who played in the sevens with me, he's he was a coach of well, he's a coach of, of America. You know, turned those guys from a from a, a rugby sevens minnows nation into into a great team. Now we got Gareth Baby, who I played with actually played with him in the Safari sevens, which was a precursor to me getting selected for England. Uh, and he was at Fiji, he's got there. He was at Fiji for such a very long time. All those friendships from our playing days. It's so great now to see those guys now coaching and leading and we're all coaching and leading in different ways. But that's the that's the really cool things that comes out of being involved in something like the Commonwealth Games, the friendship, the fellowship, the experiences. Stuff that moulds you forever, Steve. I could talk about it forever, as you can well, probably you, tell. Absolutely. And every time I catch up with you, you're kind of similar nature. And what always strikes me when you're talking about these things is you kind of almost talk about your own personal achievements just along the story, somewhere along the line. You drop it in quickly, but you're moving around, around all these people that are around it, what the experience was like. And, you know, if I'd scored two tries in the Commonwealth Games, I wouldn't shut up about it. And you wouldn't hear about David Campese. You wouldn't hear about Australia. You wouldn't hear about Jonah Lumi. You'd be like, Steve Paul just, just scored two tries in there. So how do you balance that kind of personal kind of focus, endeavour, success against kind of what the team needs and what leadership's all about? How do you get that balance right? So it's really interesting because um, the flip side, really, on both of these, I remember my one of my best coaches of all, all time, Duncan Hall, Australia uh, coach, just just the most insightful guy. He was street ahead from a psychology perspective and a preparation, mental preparation perspective back in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
And he always used to say to me, listen, Nick, you always worry about what everyone's doing. You're such a team player. You're always worrying about what everyone's doing. Listen, if it's out of your sphere of control or your sphere of influence, don't worry about it. And he always said to me, controller, controller balls. So the team's really important to me. Listen, I'm a, I'm a glory boy winger that scores all the tries, gets all the glory. I love that. It's great. And, uh, and I love the accolades that comes with. But ultimately, we recognise nothing happens without, without being part of a team. Without your fatties or your, or your props in the front row, you know, and the, the forwards, you know, dominating and, and, and gaining possession. Without, you know, your 10 directing the game and strategizing where we go. Without all of the players, you don't, you don't, you're doing nothing. So part and parcel, the reason why I suppose I don't talk about those accolades all the time, because they're just part of the team accolades and they're part of the experience. Um, how do you, how you balance it? Controller, controllables. Make sure you do the bit that you're supposed to do. Make sure that you're bought into the values of whatever team you're in. Make sure you're bought into the leadership of whoever's leading you and you're, and you're backing uh, implicitly. Make sure you're uh, uh, not just a passenger on the, on the, on the journey, but you, that you're also directing and you, um, you're contributing. Contribution and accountability are the thing. So how do we manage it? Listen, I, I've been part of some amazing teams and the reason why I'm a team player now is because of me. It's because of the... The, the way I've been moulded by the environment that I've been really lucky to be part of. Um, the, the boys will probably say something different because we're wingers and we're the glory boys, but <laughs> ultimately nothing happens without a team. And, um, and, and then, then moving, you know, that's why a lot of ex-elite sports people go into business and are great leaders or, have, or, or good leaders or understand about culture and leadership because without the right culture, nothing happens. It's not about the leader. It's about what the leader can do to instill the values, the accepted behaviours and um, and the right culture to be able to collectively reach your goals and your objectives. Amazing. And I always kind of find you really insightful on that stuff. I remember you walking around a business I used to work at with me and you gave me insights into the business I hadn't seen. And I'd been there 10 years. You've been there 10 minutes. And you were kind of going around, well, this is amazing. And what about that? And have you thought about doing this? And have you tried that? And I'm just there thinking, this is amazing. This is a guy with energy. This is a guy looking at what he can do to help me. I see that all the time. I think when you look out to the marketplace at the moment, you and me, I know, kind of talk about this regularly. You like, look at businesses and what help and support they need and we're both kind of people that are people pleasers want to do the right thing want to support people want to make a difference mm-hmm. and when we're doing that sometimes you get frustrated because you see people going do you know what just let me help you with that because I can make a massive difference in there what are the things you're seeing in the marketplace at the moment you know you could help resolve so the big the, the, you know what it's like in organizations the, the three challenges really around cash processes and people um in the current in the current mindset not current mindset it's fact the current climate and the current environment is talent. Excuse me. Organisations are really struggling to recruit and retain the best talent. And so that's really where we can help them. We can help them with a two-pronged approach, really, depending on which, which hat I wear, depending on which business I'm representing in my portfolio. The, the first one is recruiting the best talent. And in order to recruit the best talent, organisations need to understand that the motivations of candidates have changed incredibly in the market over the last couple of years. And COVID has changed the biggest issue around hybrid working and historic working principles around people being present and need to be present and productive in the office. Um, but weighed with the fact that actually we've seen that people working hybridly from a hybrid model are, have been able to deliver um, exactly the same, if not more efficiency and more productivity in, in the hybrid model. It's a really tough balance. And so getting organisations to understand exactly what they're all about and what makes them attractive because candidates motivations have changed 
and they want to work for organisations they like. They don't want to work for organisations where they're just getting remunerated in the right way. They want to work in organisations that they share the same values and organisations, you know, select in start with why, you know, help organisations recruit the right talent, but I also help them build their employer brands. I also help them build their culture so they're able to understand what their internally what their employee value proposition looks like, and then then be able to articulate that in the wider marketplace around what you what the employer brand. So when people talk about the name of their business, what does that what um, emotions does that does that does that convey within our potential employees? And that's where we where we help them. And a lot of organisations have kind of got lost with what they're all about in terms of their unique selling points and where their why is because it changes. And organisations where they were pre-COVID have just been dealing with getting themselves through COVID and getting keeping hold of the right people and, and been able to recruit. They've kind of lost that why. They've lost that uh, what how to articulate their employer brand. So being able to help them get under the skin of that, it's, it's my place of passion. I love it, and it's a real it's a real light bulb moment for organisations because invariably any organisation that's been managed to stay or grow through COVID has got a shed load of USPs and a shed load of internal ip that they need to scream about from the rooftops and they're like well that's just what we do actually this is the thing that's going to really appeal to candidates candidates want to work for a business that they share the same values and more importantly where they've really understood where there's client and customer attraction or people want to buy products and interact with brands where it's a great place to work so this whole value system this whole um approach to re- retaining and recruiting people actually helps people acquire new clients and along the way and that's that's the bit i really love doing and absolutely you know, working with we you know i've worked with you before and working with organizations that you work with you only work with organizations where you you embody the same values and you have the same you cut from the same cloth it's so nice we talked about it earlier if you've got the right energy and you share the right energy and you share the right attitude to life and business Great stuff happens, and and that's that's why I love my job. I, you know, I've got the, I've got the best job jobs. I've got the best jobs in the world. Fantastic, yeah, and I can see it, and I can feel it, and I love it when people are in the right position, and it's like a round peg in a round hole kind of thing, because you see that energy flow, you see solutions kind of just dropping off them like windfall leaves. It's kind of fantastic to watch. Um, the other thing you mentioned right at the start of all of that stuff you were just talking about, and there's so much I could pick out, but I'm going to go right back to the start of that monologue, which is. You talked about having a portfolio of businesses um, and and an interest, and there are so many things I know you're involved in. And I encourage anyone listening to this: go and have a look at Nick's profile. Go and have a look on <laughs> Wikipedia. Go and have a look on LinkedIn. Go and have a look at Baxter Williams, and you will find Nick is involved in everything. Um, and I don't know where you find the time to do this. I don't know how you manage to keep the energy up there. But the one that's really intriguing me at the moment is the long lunch because I know you've just launched that. Tell us all about that. Yeah, long lunch is brilliant. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really, um, I'm really loving that. Basically, a good friend of mine, Martin Lima, um, I used to play with him at Starbridge actually in my last my last club before I retired. Great little centre. Played at Plymouth. He went to university with my wife actually. Um, his brother's Paul Lima, who's the, uh, the the fitness model and the Instagram uh, social media guru. Who does some really funny funny posts. He just he reached out to me. We've been doing lots of we've had lots of conversations around some opportunities and trying to see if there's any synergy within our shared network. And um, he told me about the long lunch. He founded it um, start of the year, and he said, you know, I want to create a more immersive sporting luncheon environment. You know, we have our the standard crew that normally goes to those rugby luncheons. He said I wanted to kind of disrupt it, and I really loved his mindset and I loved what he was doing. He did the first one in Smith and Wilinski in London. 
in March. And uh, it was a kind of like a smaller format of what he wanted to do. And I said, listen, how do I get involved? He said, well, I'm currently working with someone, but they're, they're currently working with someone on this, but they've got other things and they're not able to put as much time. I said, well, listen, if there's an opportunity for me to, to get involved, buy that individual out or get involved alongside, then let me know. He said, yeah, we did. And we, uh, um, we transacted and, and, and I, I came on board. And he's 100% right. You know, there's, there's not enough. The, the diversity in, in a rugby luncheon room doesn't reflect the diversity of my beautiful game. And uh, the advent of women's rugby in the last 20, 30 years, you know, we got the best. It's great that we're seeing female sport now on t- television. I'm just so enamoured by the England football team getting to Absolutely. the final. You know, for what looks like it's going to be a Germany-England final, which is going to be another <laughs> iconic. Oh, final. I think France, England. England. <laughs> oh, do you think France, England? Yeah, okay. yeah it's, pro- it's, it's probably going to be. Yeah, it's probably going to be. Yeah, it's looking at that, the France in the semis in, in, the, in the quarters before. And then England, like we are the best in the world, like by a long shot. I think the nearest are probably France again, New Zealand, Wales. We are by a long shot. So I. We want more women in the in the room in in those rugby lunches. We don't want wives and girlfriends as reluctant plus ones unless they're interested in rugby or business. But we want women that are involved in rugby and in business, which there are there are too many to mention, and they're not represented in these environments. So you only get the represented environment if you make sure the event appeals. And so we've got uh, we've launching the the Birmingham Long Lunch launch on September the fifteenth. It's at Gadjo in Birmingham. We want really iconic venues. We want some great. We'd want to create an environment that fosters people connecting with the right energy and the right attitude to life and business, which is normally revolving around rugby. So we've got a three-course meal, bottle of wine, at Gauchos, and we've got Andy Good, who's just brilliant. Rugby podcast. Awesome. Oh, just brilliant. He's amazing. Him and Jim Hamilton on their podcast just like literally make you laugh for weeks. And really insightful. He doesn't mess about. He uh he's quite cutting in his in his opinions, and we really like him. So Andy Good's gonna be the one of the main speakers. We've also got Laura Keats. Now, Laura Keats won the World Cup in 2014 with the women's team. She's a prop, currently playing for Worcester, my, my club, and um, and hoping to get, you know, one last foray in for the for the World Cup uh, this year. So, and she'll be there um, talking about her experiences. So, we want more females in the room. We want to have an immersive experience. We don't want to have 300 people in the room and 200 people, 100 max. That's the max. Everybody from each table gets to engage and speak. And uh, and hopefully um, people will get some really, really unique insight into what goes on. You know, people are always really fascinated by by my rugby stories and my rugby experiences. And you just take it for granted sometimes having travelled the world and met some amazing people and been involved in some some great rugby experiences. We take it for granted. And it's only when we tell those stories that actually we realise that we're really blessed, we're really fortunate. And we want people in that room to be able to understand what it was like in those situations to understand what what it was like firsthand from um, some iconic um, rugby stars, and this will be the very first one. And uh, hopefully, we'll we'll do well. We won't. Hopefully, we'll definitely we'll definitely do. We'll do three or four in Birmingham. We'll do three or four in London. And then what what will be really useful is to is to use this platform to help transitioning rugby players in other cities. So we've got a transitioning rugby player. They're looking for the next thing to do. They're looking to utilise a network or create a network. And we can utilise them as as long lunch ambassadors to be able to look after, run, or help organise other events in other cities where uh, where we got some, you know, we got Bristol, we got Newcastle, we got Liverpool, we got Leeds, we got Leicester, we got loads of big cities with 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 lots of vibrant rugby there. The long lunch has got has got some 
got some legs and it's got some real real opportunity for us to uh, to revitalize uh, disrupt a little bit these rugby luncheons and create something really really interesting Fantastic. Sounds really, really interesting. Um, as ever, I could talk to you all morning because I love listening to you and you've always got this infectious energy and you've always got loads of things you can tell me and loads of things we can learn about. You're always involved in something new and you're kind of moving forward whilst also keeping all the other stuff you're involved in successful. I know you give loads back because I know you've been governor, you've involved in charity, you do careers advice, you get really involved in the local area that, that you're kind of in. I'm not going to ask you any questions about that, but I wanted, I can't go without mentioning it because I want people to know what a great person you are and this kind of stuff you give back. One of the other questions I was going to ask you that I'm not going to ask you is about how did you transition into the working world? You've just told us how you're helping others do it. And I think anyone listening to this will be obvious of how you transitioned in because you learn, you listen, you focus, you do everything you can to make it work, you network, you're doing all of those things. And if it's not obvious um, that you would be a success anywhere you landed and any business that was lucky enough to kind of be associated with you um, wouldn't get benefit from you, then, you know, someone's missing a trick here. They need to listen from the start again and they'll work it out for themselves. I want to ask you one last kind of fantasy question about the Commonwealth Games because that's what yeah. today's all about. So if, if we were kind of looking at, um, next week and you had a phone call saying can you come and be in the England Sevens you're going to get to play in Birmingham what would your reaction be? I'd be, listen, you're never that desperate you're never that desperate, you know what <laughs> it, 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 it would be an absolute honour when we played uh, seven. when I played in 1998 there was still a chasm between Sevens and Fifteens there wasn't the HSBC series that there is now and there wasn't specialisms and there wasn't funding and so we played a lot of sevens because it was a great way to keep fit in the summer. It was also a great way to travel the world and, uh, and, 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 and see other tournaments for free, which was brilliant. You know, that people would invest in, in the best players to go and create teams to go around the world. And we had a great time and it was great. We had, we had so much fun. Now it's different kettle of fish. These guys are centrally contracted with the RFU. Um, we've got a HSBC 7 series, which is just the most fun. If you've never seen it, uh, anyone that's listening to podcasts, Please watch it. You'll see the most. It's in fact, it's amazing. Like athletes, like physical endeavour. It's it, even if you don't like rugby, anyone who, even if you don't like sport, watch sevens, you'll get captivated. So these guys don't need me anymore. These guys have got a platform. They're uh, they're fantastic. The England seven setup is a very is a very very strong one. Um, I will be. I'll be going down on Friday to watch. I've been involved in Jamaica the last two or three years um it's part of it's part of my heritage where my parents are from they reached out to me and said listen we know you were involved in um in england we know you're involved in business we could do with some commercial support for jamaica uk to to look more importantly look for players so initially they were asking if they if i knew of any players in my network that had jamaican heritage we found a couple of my my, my boys that, that ended up playing for jamaica and one of them uh lucas roy smith's playing for them this week, I'm going to go down on Friday to watch them play against Australia, Amazing. against um, against my my old mate Tim Walsh's side, and uh, and so you know, listen, I wouldn't be they wouldn't be that desperate to call me. It'd be a real honour. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm still involved in the sport as you, as I've got another business called Connect the Networking Club, and I've got 40 Warriors. So I'm still very much involved in rugby, and it's always nice to mix the business and the pleasure. So you know, I don't take no money from the Jamaican. Seven's a commercial role that I, that I do. We're just sort, sorting them out with a great kit sponsorship um, through Scimitar, through a good friend of mine, John Rue. And we're just looking for sponsors at the moment for that. So, yeah, to answer your question, I'd say no, politely. And for, politely, 
uh, decline their request and wish them all the best. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, as an ex-player, you never really get over not playing anymore. You've always got a soft spot. You still dream about rugby. It's transitioning story is a whole new podcast, a whole nother podcast, and that yeah. would, I would open your eyes on on that one, Steve. But it's always nice when you finish playing rugby, something that gave you so much and something you got so much from that you're still involved in afterwards. And and I'm just really blessed that I am still involved in in, in the beautiful game. And uh, long lunch will be long lunch next year. We, we're going to be um, sorting out. Hopefully, watch this space. We've got some long lunch events that'll be happening around the World Cup in France. Got some events in Monaco. We've got some golf days. We've got some long lunches set up that we're organising. And that will be that's the epitome of being involved in in rugby to be able to be involved in in a in a World Cup. And uh, and I'm looking and I'm looking forward to that away from home soon. Fantastic. Well, the last thing I was going to ask you is if you've got any final messages, but I think you've summed up everything beautifully there. <laughs> you're still involved in the game. Um, you're still going to be kind of involved in the Commonwealth Games in some uh, way, shape or form coming up. I'm really intrigued to see um, what happens to you when Jamaica have to play England at some point in terms of uh, <laughs> how you react in that situation. Knowing <laughs> you, you'll be you'll be celebrating both sides and just loving the fact that there's a great game of rugby going on Definitely. and some people around you to sit there and enjoy it. But Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure as ever i'm really looking forward to the commonwealth games i'm really looking forward to the next time we catch up there's a million things we could have dealt into this morning i'm sure there'll be future opportunities for future podcasts um even if there's not i can't wait to meet with you again and have another drink like we did last thursday and have a great night out for anyone that's listened to this thank you mate for anyone that's listening to this you can find nick baxter on linkedin you can get support from Nick and his team on recruitment from Baxter Williams, where you can go onto Twitter, where Baxter Williams are. They're also on Instagram. They're also on Facebook. And we'll make sure we post that stuff out when we launch this podcast. As Nick said, he's launching um, with one of his colleagues, Long Lunch, which you can find more details on at longlunch.live. If I listed all of the things Nick was involved in and all of the different places you could find him on social media, I'd be here all morning. So I'm going to stop there. Um, but if you go into those ones, it'll take you through to the links for all the other great things that are there. Nick, I hope you have a wonderful day and you enjoy the Commonwealth Games. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much, Steve. Really appreciate it. I wish you all the very best, my brother. <laughs>